0: Well, 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 gentlemen. This is how they conduct. This is how they conduct secret interviews with inside sources on CNN. You just gotta backlight them like this, and then change the voice to CNN. All right, gentlemen. So, um, I really uh, have been thinking a lot on this whole thing of, um. Cheap labor destroying nations. Um, you know, here in, in uh, South Africa, uh, apartheid kind of sowed the seeds of its own destruction um, by having a fixation a addiction. Uh, and when uh, apartheid. Are you saying apartheid was, uh, it had feelings? <laughs> you know? No, I mean white people. White, you know, the white institutional leadership uh, of the country had a, a fixation and addiction uh, to cheap labor. Cheap labor is never of your own people group. So when I say cheap labor destroys nations, it destroys two nations, the nation that engages it and the nation that supplies it. So in South Africa's context, the cheap labor was African, was black uh, migrant labor. They would live in their, in their homelands. They would have their own uh, sovereign areas, if you want to call it that. But they they would go and find work in the white cities, so there would be migrant labor, and they would send money back. So the way it destroyed their their nationhood, their economies, is they never built economies. They went and worked elsewhere. It's the same for Latin America. Latin America sends uh, migrant laborers up into America, into the USA, and so their economies suffer. Their families suffer. Uh, you know, it's just it, it destroys their nation. You know Now how does it destroy those who engage in it? You know, you look at every uh, nation, Rome and Greece had s- cheap slave labor. Uh, Britain had uh, slave labor and then obviously engaged in the colonial uh, cheap labors. Uh, America, South Africa, Rhodesia. What, what introducing cheap labor is is it's always a foreign group. So in a homogenous society, cheap labor is for the, the young, the teenagers. Teenagers conduct cheap labor where they they learn skills, they uh, grow a network, and they graduate out of it into either becoming business owners or more skillful employees. That is what happens in a homogenous society. Now, in a cheap labor, migrant labor society, the teenagers are pushed out of that cheap work for, uh, migrant laborers. You know, one of you read, uh, I think it was Ben Franklin, one of Ben Franklin's little pamphlets that he, he wrote on the peopling of nations. But he said the main problem, uh, of why slavery was, uh, adopted was, um, transience, you know, especially in, resource-rich, space-rich colonies. South Africa, lots of space. America, lots of space. Uh, The Roman Empire expanding, lots of space. So what would happen, the citizens, you would work for someone, and then you'd be like, great, I've got the skills, or I've got a little bit of capital, I'm going to go and get my own land. I'm going to go and start on my own, because there's so much space, spatial resource. And so all the business owners end up adopting slavery, not all, but a lot of the business owners end up adopting slavery if they want uh, consistent labor, because of the transient nature of the colonial uh, space, spatial resources, it's also one of the problems why people don't like teenage labor or, or young, young homogenous labor is because every year it's different. Every year you have to train a new teenager, and so there's this kind of addiction to foreign labor, um, you know. And, and then even you look at, at it from the capitalistic kind of oligarchical uh, perspective, you know, when you look at, at unrestrained migrant, uh, uh, immigration, migrant labor immigration, who benefits from that, you know, obviously the business owners, business owners who are using cheap labor, uh, obviously real estate prices, right? So if you are bringing millions of people in real estate becomes a huge, uh, part um, of Sorry chaps. have just realized now we have a live chat Drongo and bass guitarist welcome fine gentlemen. Thank you for Jumping on the second time. So uh, the real estate market becomes far more saturated, right? So while you know all this migrant labor it halves the labor market and drives prices down it doubles the, the Sorry it doubles the labor market halves the price and then it doubles the real estate market doubles the price So that's a a kind of thing that destroys the nation because now young families that want uh, to get their own house now have all of these, uh, you know, high uh, property prices. You know, so that's another whole whole aspect of this. RJJ, good evening, and Copper Star, fighting a war against Katzma, I've decided to start feeding. Well, sir, I played the heartless Nazi Putin card we had cute kittens come to our deck in the midst of winter right before we left for South Africa. And my wife was like, Oh, let them in. And I was like, no, they must freeze. And here we are in South Africa. (laughs) If we had let them in, we would be nursing cats in the winter. We would not have left. So I, I send my condolences to you copper star. (laughs) My condolences indeed. Uh, Anyway. So, um, Drongo, it is Sunday, so there is no rain to kill the Wi-Fi. It is the Lord's blessing upon our Sunday stream. We we actually did have rain earlier today, but uh, it it has driven off in time. So what was my whole point that I wanted to get to here with our um our uh, migrant labor and cheap labor? Oh yeah, so cheap labor, how cheap labor destroys nations. You know, one of the biggest um. know, so so we've addressed there. You know how it destroys their own nation because they aren't developing their own economy. uh, How it destroys our nation uh, through uh, edging out the young and the poor. You know, and that oh, so there's another point. So uh, in a homogenous nation, you will have your own poor, right? You'll have your own poor classes. They need work, you know. And so if you're importing another nation's poor class to compete with them, you know, so you're competing for the the poor are competing. You're competing with teenagers. You're competing for the residential market. Uh, another issue uh, that cheap labor provides is that because it'll never be of your own people, right? People feel bad having cheap labor of their own people. That's why you edge out your own poor in, you know, you'd rather hire a poor Mexican or a poor black than a poor white because, oh, I don't feel good about paying him that price. Exactly, he's your, your own people. You should be looking after him, you know? And so you don't feel bad about stiffing other people other ethnicities, you don't feel bad about poor working conditions or poor pay, etc., for other uh, nations. And what this does is it introduces racial strife, ethnic strife, or grievances, right? Now often, a lot of the first-generation migrant laborers are just super pumped for the opportunity, they're super grateful to work for very low wages. But their children who grow up, number one, they grow up not as native, uh, not as the host nation, right? They they are different. So there is no integration. So that's one form of grievance. The second form of grievance is, you know, their parents are still treated as, you know, migrant labor. So it just introduces a crazy um, ethnic strife uh, into the, the eco- economic zone, uh, which is a problem. <clears throat> and so when you look at any nationalist um, economic platform, you know, you want protection, labor protectionism. Now it's a really interesting, you know, not many people have ever read, um, the Austrian artists coffee table book, but it's a a fascinating study. Like I, you know, for, for the, the huge big conflagration in history that it is the fact that we don't read it as a primary source is mind baffling. Anyway, in the artists coffee table book, he talks about the original, uh, use of the labor unions. The labor unions were not Marxist in their creation. The labor unions were an attempt to address the the capital uh, the oligarchical classes abuse of the lower, the underclass, uh, you know, the poor, poor labor. They didn't have Marxist-Leninist tactics of class and racial warfare. They just wanted to say like, hey, we're here working for you industrialists. We don't want to die of poverty and sickness and disease and accidents and all that kind of stuff. The problem was, now he's talking about Austria in 1906, 1907 onwards, he said the problem was that the conservatives didn't take the, the unions seriously. They were like, we don't need to pander to the unions. We don't need to, the, the dirty poors, we don't need to do anything for them. And so of course the marxists came along and said we'll pander to you. And so since like 1911 all unions around the world have basically been synonymous with marxism because the marxists were the only ones who paid attention to the dirty poor. And so this brings, you know, the the, the question back to Christian nationalism for us or or just the the nationalist for anyone who's a serious nationalist of like there are nationalist solutions to our our current clown world problems. One of those solutions has to be caring for our own poor you know you can't just be you know a middle class bougie nationalist who's like oh your nationalism and all this stuff and then you look at your underclass and be like "Eh, let's uh, outsource them or get rid of them or you know uh, ignore them whatever it's like no all all nationalist thought has to have the undertaking of driving your own poor out of poverty and out of violence, and out of degeneracy. And so unfortunately, you know, when you look at at anything that kind of touches on that, people get very antsy because, you know, they've been so memed into unions are Marxist. Uh, looking after the poor is socialist. Um, you know, uh, punishing oligarchs is communist. And it's like, no, 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 like we've all got very nationalistic uh, reasons and motivations to do those things. you know any any serious nationalist has to you don't have to like your poor but you have to realize that they are your poor and so you have to deal with, you have to deal with them uh, been ben benevolently you know you want your own poor to be driven out of poverty. And so one of the huge things there is you don't want to be importing labor to compete with them. you don't want to be importing uh, another underclass to compete with them for labor. You don't want to compete and import another underclass to compete with them for housing. You don't want to import another labor class to compete with them, you know, for space, for law and order space, you know, because you start getting these enclaves that you know law and order is, is a huge uh, need for the underclass. It's a very violent life. So, who dares wins. Welcome, fine sir. Glad you didn't miss it, Drongo. Africans should invent snow. It is way more wholesome. rain well you know it would it certainly would be a miraculous it would stop society i think if it snowed here when it does snow here like once every couple years you know you'll have a a snow day god forbid (laughs) where there's like some speckles probably like everyone finds out where the speckles are going to be so it's normally like an hour down the road they'll have snow like for five minutes and like the whole province will arrive to witness this white stuff. Copper star. Oh, they stay outside. They just lounge on the porch and if I walk outside they run over to feed them. I chase them off and there they are next time. Yes, my friend, you have become (laughs) become the cat whisperer. If they pay their rent and keep the rodent population down, then maybe they'll be useful to you but otherwise they're going to they're going to eat you dry, my friend, (laughs) your wife's going to be buying them premium cat kibble nibbles. And then soon they'll be in your house sleeping on your bed and maybe even trying to suffocate you in the night by sleeping on your face. Then you'll know the tables have Anyway, praise God. So yeah, chaps thought that was a a nice, uh, a nice thing to chat about. We can uh, think more on that. Uh, philosophically but just going forward you know and and it's hard for us you know it's hard for us to compete until your institutions actually make laws for your people you know because until you you kick out foreign cheap labor your guys can't compete you can't compete you know until everyone switches over at once you can't compete you know i, I had a, a chat with um old andrew here the other day and we were just saying you know we still have uh, African, you know, black uh, housekeepers and black gardeners and black laborers working for us, you know, and it's, it's a thing of like, it's not hypocrisy because it's like you literally, there is no other option. There are no white boys offering landscape services in South Africa. There are no white people offering housekeeping services inside, you know, there are no, there is no ability to, that you would pay cheap labor. And it's the same in America with Mexican cheap labor and, and, you know, there, there are alternatives, but you, you cannot compete with the price points. So just all interesting stuff uh, to think on. Um, I praise God. So gentlemen, I uh, hope you're all uh, having a great weekend. Um, keeping your head above all of the uh, war madness. You know, it's funny how uh, I think there's like a huge bloodlust in all of, you know, our society, our Western societies have become so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, atomized or, uh, wh- what is the word I'm looking for? Divided. Um, that there's a huge bloodlust that is being fulfilled, uh, vicariously through other people's wars. You know, it's like, you know, you have all these liberals taking the side of Ukraine cause they all think that they are the heroic, you know, whatever, but it's like, it's their own vicarious wish, uh, to destroy and and kill the strong patriarchal types, then all of all of the right wing guys are like, oh, sweet, you know, like just a war between empires is what we see it. You know, it's kind of like it's it's really akin to the Taliban, uh, kind of thing at the end of like when was Taliban end of last year, anyway, where we were all like celebrating for them, like good on them, like like good on them, and then everyone's like, oh, you're celebrating the Pashtis, you're Taliban, so but it's like no, no, no. Like, I don't, you know, like, don't you know the Taliban are evil and they do all these crazy things? And it's like, no, 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 chaps, look, you know, I'm not saying I am I bought a Tali flag and now I say the prayers five times a day. I don't. But you can, you can see what is good um, for certain uh, people, you know, does it serve our interests? And right now our interests, you know, as nationalists are not being served by the GAE. You know, in fact, the GAE is subjugating our nationalist groups, they are are acting against the interests of our nationalist groups. So when the GAE uh, takes a knock and starts to lose its power and to be weakened, you can say this is a wonderful thing for us, it's a good thing for us. You know, and then people are like, oh, you hate America. And it's like, no, like, actually, if you loved America, you would realize. Uh, that the GAE is a cosmopolitan empire that is not America. Like Americans are not in control of the GAE. It's like anyone can be an American. And it's like, and there's your problem. You know, you you have no respect. A lot of people have no respect for the original host American nation. You know, it was the same way for uh, for the global Anglo empire, GAE 1.0. You know, everyone in power were not uh, Anglo, you know, loved their Anglo people. And it's like, no, you had financiers and bankers and foreign uh, aristocrats and foreign bankers and, you know, it's like using the, the Anglos as pawns in their global resource extraction game. Uh, you know, now kind of turning, then turning all of the institutions against the Anglos and, and the Anglo nations and bringing the world uh, into, to, to put them against them, you know? So the American people is not the same thing as the American empire. You know, the Anglo people are not the same thing as the Anglo empire. And so when you see the empire taking a knock, you can celebrate that perhaps your nation stands a chance of sovereignty someday soon, hopefully in our lifetimes. So it's all been a very interesting uh, propaganda fest. Kind of, Lord, what can we speak on? that's (laughs) That's not all of this crap. Who does wins? I found a very good and concise explanation of the situation. I can post the link after the stream in the comments. Yes, please do. Uh, Copper Star, my wife has already been asked if she's ready to have to go back to work once I'm drafted. These people are insufferable. Yeah, you know, it's it's ridiculous. Um, and also just like the amount of, of bloodlust of all of these people, you know, they, they all want war and they want death. And it's like, wait a minute, like just a couple weeks ago, weren't you saying if it just saves one life, wear a mask? <laughs> you know, now it's like, go die on some foreign field. They are insufferable. Who dare's wins? We have too many parasites talking in our name, giving our people a bad image across the world. That's exactly it, man. They, they, that's exactly it. Talking in our name. You know, because it's that whole thing, you know, of 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 us not identifying as whatever our empire is anymore, but by our people. And I think that's where we struggle. You know, American struggle, Anglo struggle, is that we don't have another name. You know, the Afrikaners have another name. Uh, from, you know, they're not Dutch or French or German anymore. They are now Afrikaners. The Amish, right? The Amish are not German or Swiss or Dutch or whatever they were. They're now Amish. Uh, The Mormons are now Mormon. Um, And it's, it's a thing we struggle with, you know, because heritage Americans quite rightly still want sovereignty over America. They still it's. It was there. So you, you ask this question: like, do you give up the American name, the American flag, to try and preserve some form uh, of cultural sovereignty? You know, so that's a, a huge question to ask. It's. It's where we're at with the Anglos. You know, I've been reading this book uh, written in nineteen forty called "There Are No South Africans," and it's like, oh, this is great. Like, you know, uh, and he's basically talking about the whole contextual history between the English South Africans and the Afrikaans South Africans and how neither uh how neither uh, formed just one one United vision for South Africa, but there's like the British vision and there's the Afrikaans vision. And um, you know for for the British to cut themselves off from England and become African Anglos, there needed to be an adoption of self-reliance and and being almost cut off. It's what happened with the Rhodesians. It's why the Rhodesians had an identity. Because the Rhodesians were cut off by England, so they were like, "This is their chaps; we fight on our own," like the Afrikaners, right? So the Rhodesians were the closest thing that Anglos have achieved to a sovereign culture away from their empire. The Americans are kind of in that space now, but they're still in America with the American institutions. You know, at least Rhodesians were, you know, have many thousand miles away from from London. Uh, but it's the same thing where where this hostile Empire is hostile to your interests your local interests and so you declare you declare independence you know you declare sovereignty over your culture and your economy your institutions your people and you call yourself by a different name you know so the Rhodesians were you know because that's the next thing it's like I don't want to throw away my my Anglo heritage I love my Anglo heritage I love my Anglo language I love my Anglo customs and manner you know I'm not throwing all of that away to spite you know some, uh, grievance or whatever—it's like no, no, no. I'm very much Anglo, but there has to be a, there has to be a different flag to unite under. There has to be a different group name, if you want to call it that, to unite under. And the Rhodesians achieved that. The Americans achieved that in their first revolution. Right, they stopped being English colonists and they became American. Now, unfortunately, they need to separate from the American Empire you know, and and it's the same, it's the same with us Anglos across the Anglosphere, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, you know, even, even Anglos, uh, in England, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an identity issue. A name is one of the biggest, uh, a name is the public, uh, side of the identity. If you don't have a name, people don't know what to call you. And then they start calling you that. You know, the Nazis were, didn't call themselves Nazis. They were called Nazis by the media. And then it stuck. And that's okay. You know, it's okay if people give you a pejorative that you just ride with and go with it. You know, it, it's uh, it's an interesting, you know, and then you get the other other guys coming in on this. of so like, yeah, but Scott, we're just white. And the pejorative right now is, is whiteness. You know, so if they attack us as white. Why don't we identify as white? You know, and that's fine as well. Uh, as long as... You know, you have to go harder. Like it's okay to have white interests; it's good to have white interests, and we need to advocate for our interests. You know, because but then you're identifying as a white South African, a white American, a white Canadian, a white Australian. It's like, what is that? You know, it, it's all very interesting. So these are the kind of things we're grappling through, um, you know, on our way to to a idea of cultural sovereignty, because cultural sovereignty will arrive before political. Uh, power, political sovereignty, you know, so you look at the Amish, they have cultural sovereignty, but not political sovereignty. You look at the Afrikaners today, they have cultural sovereignty, but not political sovereignty. So what I mean by cultural sovereignty is you have control of your cultural institutions, church, media, academia, your children are going to be more Amish in the next generation than you were. Whereas for us who are all, we have no cultural sovereignty. That means the church, the media and the academia are all controlled by our enemies, by those who are our empire our empire, the empire that subjugates us, which means our children will be more like the empire. Our children will be more uh, like what the empire is, you know, than we are today. And that's our main issue right now is, you know, we political sovereignty, uh, you know, can only come once the empire crumbles. I think the Amish know that, you know, there is no, there is no chance of political sovereignty for the Amish or the, or the Mormons. You know, there's no, and this is why where I'm at with with the whole Ukraine situation. There is no chance of political sovereignty for the Ukrainians either way. They're a vassal of of the 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 GAE, or they're a vassal of the Russians. There is no other way for them. So it's like, chap, pick the lesser of two evils. You know, don't be stupid trying to kill all your people on some you know suicide glory pact. It's like you're a vassal state. You are a vassal state. You are a conquered vassal state. Lie down and stop stop destroying your people stop destroying your infrastructure just transfer the vassal to the next empire you know and and that's the way it is for for the american population the 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 host the host uh uh founding stock american nation you know until the gae crumbles you know i i say we because i've married into it but we will remain subjugated because the power issue there is no right now and and praise god if i'm wrong but right now there is no power struggle that we would be able to uh, win you know so it's a cultural struggle and without the cultural sovereignty the you know it's useless going to the Capitol. it's useless having a civil war if you don't have cultural sovereignty because let's say our guys win the Donald gets elected in 2016 he, we win power you know we have power sovereignty oh my gosh our guy We have no cultural sovereignty. The church, the media, the academia are all so owned by the deep state, by the cabal, by the financiers, whoever you know, whatever liberal kind of tag you want to put on them. That it doesn't matter if your guys in power because culturally you're just the, you know, everyone says that culture follows power, and it's like it's a both and, it's a chicken and egg vibe, you know. So our, our biggest thing, you know, where I'm just so super encouraged is this is where we've got to focus is cultural dominion, you know, sovereignty over your family institution, sovereignty over your local economy, sovereignty over your church, over your media that you consume and create over your academia that you send your children to, or that you create for your children. You know, we have to have cultural sovereignty. The Amish and the Mormons are in a better place to wield power uh, than heritage uh, Americans or Anglos are, because they have cultural systems, cultural sovereignty systems, which allow them to wield power for their interests, not for everyone else. Oh, the Donald gets in power. Well, let's help the gays. Let's help the blacks. Let's help the foreigners. Let's help Mexico. Let's help Israel. You know, let's help. Let's help China. You know, let's help everybody but the host nation, the host heritage funding stock cuz we have no cultural sovereignty to demand that. Drongo, "Nazi" is just a diminutive of Ignatz that I guess sounded catchy to Anglosphere journalists, so they used it as a short for National Socialist. Kind of funny how it stuck and became the official name. Yeah. You know, and I think that's it. It's like I think you can also take the wind out of uh, you know, the media sales when you you don't care to uh, defend or, or justify you know. every time they slander you. <laughs> I don't think people called ignats get called Nazi anymore, though. Yeah, I went to school with an Afrikaans boy called Ignatius, which is the Afrikaans spelling of that, and we shortened his name to Nas. Very close, though. Very close. Well, gentlemen, I've had a fun half hour. Who would have thought? Only half an hour. I've been getting out of fitness here. And uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. It'll be a fun week ahead. We're uh, renovating this house we're staying in. We've only got three weeks left uh, in the country, so we're kind of pushing a deadline here. Um, Just busy uh, redoing our uh, main bedroom and bathroom and just finishing touches everywhere and here and there. So we've got a long list of things we're fixing up here, Um, so we'll give a a good house tour once we've gotten a lot lot of the stuff done and put that on our joint YouTube channel. But yeah, God bless you boys. Have a wonderful night and uh, pray for a a really awesome week ahead for you guys. May you have some wonderful uh, opportunities and surprises coming your way. And uh, Copper Star, I pray the cats wonderfully disappear. Unless you like them, then don't. God bless you boys. See ya.